excellent singing. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Um, I don't normally do this, but we're going to be in a few different passages this morning, so um, I'll do my best to let you know where we're going and you can keep up. We're going to continue our series that we have been looking at for the last few weeks on the gifts of the Father. We have so many things to be thankful for that God has given us and that we should be grateful for. And response to that is that we should serve and love Him throughout our lives. As we begin, I do want to just open with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful that we can come and open Your Word And we know that what we are sharing is from you. It's your letter to us. It's your guide to us. And Lord, I pray that you will help the Holy Spirit to to use these words to direct us more clearly in the way that we should live. And I pray that you will help us to understand what you have for us. You'll help us to grasp the teaching um, from this passage. And God, when we see things that need to change, I pray, Lord, that we'll have the willingness to change and to view things from your word clearly. Again, we thank you for this opportunity. We ask this in your name. Amen. A four-year-old boy was visiting his uh, aunt's house She was pregnant uh, with her first child, and she was getting to the point where she was showing more. In fact, uh, the baby was kicking quite a bit, and so she asked the four-year-old boy, do you want to feel the baby kick? So the boy said, sure, and so he placed his hand on her belly, and and he could feel the baby kick, and his face uh, crunched, and he looked at the woman and he said, his, his aunt, and he said, how does the baby get out of there? She wanted to make it as simple as possible, and so she didn't know how to respond, so she just simply said, the doctor will help. The boy's crunched face quickly turned to wide eyes, and he responded, you mean you've got a doctor in there too? (laughs) Of course, she didn't have a doctor in there. In order to get the help that she needed, this mother would have to get in her car and drive to the hospital, wait in the ER room, and uh, even when she got to her hospital bed, she would have to wait until the time when the baby said it was time to come out. The Bible tells us that God realized that we, in and of ourselves, were not going to be able to function without His help. And so the Bible tells us that He placed inside us as believers one who could guide us and who could direct us through the areas of life that are trials. Galatians chapter 4, it says there, and we, we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, but it says, and because you are sons, God sent his, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because one day you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you, God says that immediately, as we looked at two weeks ago, He adopted us into His family and we are now His child and because we are His child, the Bible tells us then He sent His Spirit into us. 
When we become Christians, God places His Spirit inside of our heart and we don't have to go to a special building. We don't have to talk to a special person. We don't have to wait for anything. God's Spirit is there to guide and direct us at all times. Back in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We don't have to come to this church building to feel the presence of God in our lives. We don't have to go to a cathedral. We are in contact with God all the time. Why? Because we are the temple of God. He's always in us and with us. Whether at home, whether we're at work, whether we're at play, wherever we are, He's always there. I want to take just a, a little while this morning and look at the gift that God gives us of His Holy Spirit. I think this is a topic that many times we shy away from because of teachings that we don't agree with in, uh, in, in other uh, churches, and so we shy away from the teaching of the Spirit, but it's, a, it's an aspect of our relationship with God that we should hold dear to ourselves. There's four aspects of the gift of the Spirit that I want to look at. First of all is the prediction of the gift of the Spirit. and In the Bible, we see uh, predicted numerous times. When I look in one passage, you can look there on the screen in Isaiah 44, verse 3. It says, For I will pour out the water on the, uh, of the thirst... So I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring. The prediction that Isaiah was making through the power of the Spirit is that one day this offspring would come and ultimately he's referring to the offspring of Jesus Christ and he would come and, and, his, uh, and, he, and he would dwell with us and he would serve us and, and his Spirit uh, would be a part of us. But then he goes on and the idea is then this blessing will be sent down to the descendants to the faithful followers. These are spiritual descendants that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so we see the prediction of the Spirit. But secondly, we see the promise of the gift of the Spirit. In Isaiah, uh, excuse me, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, we actually the song we sang just a bit ago, uh, the first song in the, uh, the worship package uh, that we sang, this um, verse is, it was actually quoted in there. If you have your... Uh, song sheet, you can look at that, but it, it's quoted in that, in that uh, song. It says in this, In Him you also, who have heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, were sealed with the promise, promised Holy Spirit. You see in Scripture that God tells us that one day there will come this Holy Spirit. Jesus elaborated on that, and that's why I told you to turn to John chapter 14. When Jesus came, He began teaching, and, and the disciples loved His presence, and everywhere He went, uh, they went with Him, and they learned from Him each and every day. And, and a time came when Jesus was coming to the end of His life, and He knew that. And he knew their response was fear uh, of him being gone. And so in John chapter 14, he's teaching him. And look at uh, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. I wanted, want, he wanted them to know, he wanted them to be comforted that even though he was going to go, that he wanted them to know something. What did he want them to know? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus tells them there will come one after me that will come and He'll guide you. And we'll talk more about what the Holy Spirit does for us, but He says He will guide you and He will teach you 
He goes on in John chapter 16. Look over there, John chapter 16 and verse 7. John 16 and verse 7, he tells them this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And Jesus told his disciples that, that I, I am going to go for me, but when I go, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. Why was this a big deal to them? I mean, for us, I think sometimes we kind of just, well, I kind of take uh, um, that for granted and we forget about that. But for, for those, uh, the disciples, this was a big deal because He had spent time with them and, and the, the Holy Spirit was not something that they, they all had experienced and because um, it was something that was different than what they had done be, seen before. You see, back in the Old Testament, God would place His Spirit uh, only for certain times and in certain moments. And uh, the Bible tells us in numerous places in the Old Testament that God would place His Spirit on an individual to guide them or to strengthen them or to teach them or to help them. For example, I'll give you a few examples. In, in the book of Exodus, God told His uh, people, I want you to build a tabernacle. And this tabernacle was going to be the place of worship, but he wanted it to meet his specific specifications. And so the Bible tells us that he came uh, and his spirit indwelled the, the man who was basically the general contractor. And he guided him and told him how everything should be put together. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 19, you can turn there, that... Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon King Saul and his men, and, and as a result of that, they were able, were able to prophesy and teach in a way that was beyond what they were capable of doing. In the book of Judges, we uh, were told that there were times when the Holy Spirit came on individuals such as Samson, and they were able to do things in strength. Samson was able to, with his power, do something that normally a normal man would not be able to do. And when that happened, the Philistines uh, were, were uh, greatly defeated. We see the Spirit of God mentioned in numerous places. In fact, if you remember in Psalm 51, when David comes and he confesses his sin before God, he makes a statement in there that's rather interesting and I think has caused many believers today to stumble. He said this, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because God would place these the Holy Spirit on these individuals and it might be for a certain task, it might be for a certain period of time, but uh, at, at times he also, the Bible also would say, as he did with King Saul, it says he would take his spirit from them. David's request was, I don't want that to happen. But no matter how many times in the Old Testament God's Spirit came upon people, Nobody in the Old Testament experienced what you and I have the privilege of experiencing. God's Spirit comes and He dwells with us permanently. And in Ephesians chapter 1, that's what He's telling us. And, and He goes on and He says in verse 14, if you look there on that passage, He says, this Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. It's a guarantee of our inheritance. It's a, it's a guarantee that we're a child of God. Notice what it says about that. It says that it's a seal. It's a mark. No one else has this privilege except for a child of God. You have been marked. You have been sealed. 
kind of like a, a couple when they get married. I've had the privilege of being involved in numerous uh, ceremonies when I have the privilege of uh, marrying a couple, bringing them together, and they gather here, and they, they hold hands, and it's, just, it's a beautiful sight, and they're, they're happy, and they're content, and they're joyous, and they, they look into each other's eyes, and you can see it. I get that close-up view to see what's going on, and they're excited about it, and they exchange their vows, and they do all this, but one of the most intricate and most important parts of the ceremony is when, when they place the ring on each other's finger. And what this ring on my finger says that uh, I belong to my wife, no one else. And what the ring on her finger says is that she belongs to me. Now after the service, you're welcome to go up and talk to her. You're even able to hang out with her and walk around with her. You're allowed to get to know her, but you know what? She's mine. Hands off. Don't mess with her because she belongs to me. And this passage is telling us here in in Ephesians, it's telling us that when we accept the gospel of our salvation, when we believe in Jesus Christ, that we get a seal, we get a permanent reminder that, that we are God's. Isn't that an amazing thought? God places His Spirit inside of us to say to everyone else, you belong to Him and no one else. He places His seal on us to remind us to say, don't mess with my child because He's mine. This seal, this spirit, is also an assurance that He's coming back. In verse 14, it tells us there that He is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption It's the idea there, in the verse we sang, use those words, it's the idea that God uh, gives His his Spirit to us as a reminder to say, hey, I am going to come back. I heard a story, it's kind of actually sad, a a woman was uh, sharing her testimony that I heard a number of years ago, and she suffered from polio. As a child, she felt like because she suffered with this disease that she was not worth anything. And she felt at times unwanted, and and even though people in her life didn't make her feel that way, she felt that way because of her own problems. And she told in her testimony, she said, when I would go to Sunday school, I would say to my mom, as she would drop me off at Sunday school, I'd say, Mom, may may I have your, your locket that you wear around your neck? And she said her mom often thought that she wanted the locket because she loved it. And she said, actually, I hated it. It was ugly. (laughs) But I wore the locket because I knew that the locket was worth something, and I wasn't. And so maybe my mom would come back to retrieve the locket. By giving you His Spirit, God is saying this to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are valuable to me. And the promise that God gives us that this, uh, this Spirit was going to come that He gave to His disciples. And so then next we want to look at is the placement of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. If you remember that Jesus, not long after in John, not long after this, the Bible tells us that He went and He was taken and He was placed on trial. The accusers accused Him of uh, of blasphemy. Of course, we know that he committed no sin. 
The Bible tells us then he was placed on the cross after he was beaten and mistreated, and he died. Three days later, the Bible tells us he, raised from, he rose from the grave. He remained on earth for 40 days. And if you look in, uh, actually take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we're going to look there. Acts chapter, we'll start in Acts chapter 1 first. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that after this time, it says in verse 3, he presented himself, Jesus, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So during this time when Christ roamed the earth for these 40 days, he began teaching a great deal about the kingdom of God. One day all his disciples were gathered around and they're, they're gathered around and Jesus began to tell them, hey, I am going to leave you and in, in, a, in, a, in a few days when I leave you, then, then something amazing is going to happen. And look what he tells them in, in Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. He tells them in Acts 1.8, but when I leave, what will happen? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking up on, he, lifted, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And here he's teaching his disciples and he said to them, I'm going to leave you again. I want to tell you though, there's going to be one that's going to come. And they waited for this gift. Have you ever waited for a gift for, a, for someone that says, hey, I'm going to bring you something? Have you ever anticipated that? Maybe it's at Christmas. Maybe it's another time. Maybe someone told you they had a gift waiting and, and you knew they loved you and so you knew if they were promising you a gift, it's got to be good. It's got to be important. It's got to be something that was worthwhile. And you didn't know what it was, but you looked forward to receiving it because you knew it was special. And Jesus promised his disciples when he left, he said, I'm going to send you a very important gift. It's, the, it's my spirit. And, and they were looking forward to this gift, even though they didn't understand what it would be like. Jesus promised, in fact, that we read this in John, where he said, this gift is going to be even better than if I stay. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it tells us what took place. If you look there, it says, Then they returned. Jesus is gone. And he told them, he said, I want you to go somewhere and wait for this, this gift. And he, in verse 12, it says, And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is uh, near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's uh, journey away. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so they gathered together. And Jesus tells them, wait for me. And a few days later, they're waiting. The Bible tells us in that uh, passage that it was approaching, if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, it was approaching the day of Pentecost. And they were celebrating what, what the Jews knew. It was, a, it was a feast that God had told them to do. It was a feast that they called the, the Feast of Weeks. This was a celebration where God would tell them to celebrate every year, and it was a, 
It was the anniversary of when God gave them the Ten Commandments. And so uh, that was something they would celebrate. It happened for seven weeks long. Imagine that party. For seven weeks long, they would, they would celebrate. And, and uh, on the 50th day, it was called uh, the celebration of what we call today Pentecost. God told them on that day that they were to do no work. They were to have special offerings and special feasts. This was a huge celebration and it would come 50 days after the Passover uh, feast. And so it was a time they would celebrate. No matter where they lived, Jews would come from all over the world and they would gather to celebrate. As I said, it's, it's a feast that became known as Pentecost, which uh, in, in the Greek language means 50th day. Jewish people would come from all over the world. Notice what happens next. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. So they gather on the day, and it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is the disciples and and the the women and other followers of Christ. In verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And the divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And can you imagine the scene? Here they are. The disciples had told, hey, one day I'm going to send someone who's going to replace me. And he's going to be even better than me. And it's the Spirit of God. And he's going to come and he's going to dwell with you. And so here they are. They're waiting for the Spirit. And suddenly there's a loud sound like a strong wind. That's an interesting uh, use there because throughout the Bible, the wind is always a symbol of God's Spirit. In fact, in, in the Hebrew and Greek languages, the word for spirit and the word for wind are actually the same word. And the believers were there and they heard this rushing, loud wind. Then they saw a sight that was interesting. The Bible tells us there was like, tongues of fire over top of their head. Remember, as I said, this is the day of Pentecost. People would come from all over. If you, if you continue reading through these verses, we're not going to read them all, but 5 through 13, it tells us where they came from. They came from all, all different parts of the world. And so as they came, they brought their Jewish religion with them, but many of them spoke other languages. Maybe, maybe they didn't speak uh, Greek um, or Hebrew, but they spoke other languages from wherever they, they lived. They gathered together, and as the Jews that were around began hearing this, this wind, they, they came and they gathered, and, the, and Peter and the disciples began to preach. And can you imagine the amazement? I don't know about you, but I am horrible with any other language other than English, and I struggle there. Um, so I, I never mastered any additional language. Some of you, I, I'm impressed when I have people tell me that they're uh, multilingual and they're able to speak, you know, three, four languages. I'm just, I, I'm in awe of that. But this isn't what that was. This wasn't that Peter got up and over here he's speaking and, and people are translating for him. I remember uh, one time uh, when we went to Romania and I got up to preach and it was a baptismal service and and there was someone translating into Romanian and then someone translating into Gypsy. It was kind of a noisy experience. That's not what this was. 
This also wasn't what many times we hear about when we hear about speaking in tongues. It wasn't just gibberish that they were speaking, but in an amazing way, the Holy Spirit allowed them to get up and, and they did something that was impossible. And that was, as Peter began to speak in, 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 in Greek or whatever language, Aramaic, if he was using it at the time, whatever he began to speak in, there was people in the audience, and maybe there was someone over here that spoke Persian and he heard him and he understood it. And someone over here spoke another language, Spanish, and they heard it and they understood it and they were in awe of this and they said, how can this be? The Holy Spirit had filled them. And the Holy Spirit allowed these men to do that which was impossible. And Peter used this opportunity, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, but if you start in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter stands up and he begins to preach and address the men, and he goes back through the history, and he points out that Jesus the Messiah had come, and they had missed it. And he preaches and, and declares, and this is the same Peter, you remember we talked about Peter a few weeks ago, this is the same Peter that was frightened by the questions of a maiden girl. And now here he is with boldness in front of thousands of people telling the message of Jesus Christ. He was asking them to repent. How did he have boldness to do that? It was the Holy Spirit. And God comes to us and he says to us, I want to give you the same Spirit. And we have the audacity sometimes to say, God, I can't do something for you. And God says, but I've given you my spirit. And Peter preached this message, and notice what he said as he goes through and he's, he's preaching about Jesus Christ. And at the end of, uh, look if you will at verse 36, chapter 2, verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when these thousands of people gathered, heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And notice Peter's response in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the, forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of sins. We talked about that last week. And notice what he says next. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are, who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter says in this passage, hey, there is this promise and that same Spirit that gave Peter the, the ability to do what he did, that same Spirit God promises to anyone who calls upon His name, accompanied with that forgiveness of sins. So we see the, the placement of the gift of the Spirit. And then finally, the purpose of the gift of the Spirit. We see that the placing of the Spirit inside of us is a big deal to God. It's a big deal because it, He says it's even better than leaving Jesus here. It's, a, it's, it's something that is even greater. And, but why did He do it? Why did God leave His Spirit with us? In the last few moments, I want to look at three reasons. I, I don't think these three are exhaustive of all the reasons 
But I think these are three reasons why God left us His Spirit. First of all, the Spirit is proof of our salvation. It's proof of our salvation. We understand that all of us are sinners. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, it says, and such were some of you. Who is some of you? If you look in the previous verses, it talks about adulterers and those who are greedy and those who are drunkards and those who are homosexuals and, and the list goes on and on of, of sins. Some we would consider grand, some we would consider are, are small, but they're all equal to God, their sin. And here Paul says, and you were that too. But notice what he says, but you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, what he's saying there is that you are saved and a proof of that, a proof of the fact that you have been washed from that sin is that God sent us His Spirit. And so how is it today that we prove to the world around us that we are a child of God is by the working of His Spirit in our lives. Peter was able to get up and preach in front of thousands of people because of the Spirit of God in his life. What are you able to do because God is working in you? Look at this passage a moment ago, but it says in that passage that he is our seal. That is our evidence. Recently, uh, back in June, my wife and I uh, bought a house, and uh, if you've bought, an, uh, bought a house before, you know that you go to closing day, and you sign your name 52,000 times, okay, I exaggerate, over and over and over again. And what are you signing there? You're signing to say, hey, I know that I owe. <laughs> and I promise that I'll pay. Here's the amazing thing in our relationship with God. When Peter says to the people in Acts, he says, you must repent and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. Our repentance is, is, is signing a contract with God, but the difference between that and buying a home is, is that the one that we owe, G, uh, God and Jesus Christ, they also signed the contract. And Jesus came down and he, and he saw the contract that we had that said, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I have done wrong. But Jesus just didn't say, okay, yes, you owe me quite a bit. He sealed it. And he signed it and said, paid in full. And how is it paid in full? It's paid in full by what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It's paid in full because Jesus Christ shed His blood for us. And the signature that He signs with, according to this passage, is the Holy Spirit. The proof that it's paid in full is the Holy Spirit that He lives in us and He guides us and He directs us. And so why does God give us His Spirit? First of all, because it's proof of our salvation, but secondly, because the Spirit teaches us. In John chapter 16, we look at this a moment ago, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
For the people of Israel, they understood the guiding of God. You remember back when they wandered through the wilderness and and God had to guide them and direct them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But for us, our guide is the Spirit, that He guides us and He points us towards truth. How does that work? Simply it works by as we're reading the, the Word of God and as we're asking God, God, enlighten Scripture to me. The Holy Spirit does that. Have you, ever, have you ever read a passage of Scripture and you're reading along and you're like, okay, I've read this before, and you're reading along and all of a sudden something pops out on the page that you've never seen before? That's not because you suddenly got smarter than you were yesterday. It's because the Spirit of God guides and directs us. He teaches us. He teaches us truth. How do you grow and mature? Is by reading the Word of God. As He, but it's not on your own. It's teaching. It's teaching you right and wrong. And God gives us that that ability to understand right and wrong as He guides us towards truth. We have the ability to understand and go to the truth. It's not based on our own ability. It's based on the ability that God gives us through the Spirit. He allows us to do that. And then finally, the Spirit is involved in change in our life. How do we change? It's not through us. Last week we talked about the fact that Christianity is more than a religion, it's a relationship. All other religions of the world are based on the idea that the more rules we follow, the more righteous we become. In other words, rules change us. Rules make us better people. And to some degree that is true. Kind of. It works kind of. As long as we agree with the rules, as long as we're in the right mood, as long as we follow the rules, then yes, maybe the rules can make us better people. But by contrast, that is not what God wants us. As God places His Spirit in us, we establish a relationship with Him and we grow and change because of His Spirit, not because of the rules. And as we said last week though, as we grow in relationship with Him, guess what happens? We want to follow His rules. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. It's not the other way around. It's as we grow in relationship with him, that the Spirit changes us. Ezekiel talks about this, and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will pour my spirit within you. God's desire is that he wants to change you. And as He pours His Spirit into you, that heart of, of stone that you have, that heart of doing your own thing, that heart of stubbornness is cracked away by the Spirit of God working in us. But it does not happen unless we allow the Spirit to work. And as we allow the Spirit to work, it changes us little by little. And we're guided and we're directed. One Sunday school teacher was trying to teach this concept. And so he brought to his Sunday school class a group of kids. He brought a a, a box of sand. And then he took, uh, uh, he had had a little bag and he took the bag and the bag was filled with tiny little metal shavings. And he took the metal shavings and he took them and, and he mixed them in the sand. And then he went and he pulled out of his bag a huge magnet. 
And he took the magnet and he placed it on their box and as he moved it around, the kids, it was really cool as the kids watched it as the sand would stay still but the magnets would cause the metal shavings to move around. And, and he said to his kids, the, it was almost like magic, but he said the magnet is the Spirit of God that moves us and guides us and shows us and allows us to change, not through our own. That's what Galatians is talking about here when he says, but if we walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, when I begin to walk in the Spirit, what happens? God allows the Spirit to guide me, and then over the course of time, my life changes. And I live in a certain way. And what is that certain way? And he tells us in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in my life is what? Love, joy, peace. You may have a lot of those characteristics before you came to Christ, but when the Spirit of God enters our life, it begins to fine-tune those traits. Because in and of ourselves, we are not loving. We are not kind. In and of ourselves, we do not want peace. I shy away from usually a lot of political conversations. But I'm tired of this election cycle. I don't know about you. And you know why I'm tired of it? I'm sick of the fighting. What I find interesting is you can have two people in the same room and the reality is they agree on 95%, but they'll find the 5%. And they'll find those, that 5% where they disagree and they'll sit there and they'll bicker back and forth about that 5%. Why? Because in and of ourselves, by nature, we are not people of peace. And the only way that I can live at peace with others is if I allow the Holy Spirit to work and guide in my lives. And as I open up Scripture and He shows me truth where I go, oh man, I did not live in peace in that moment. And He causes me to change. But not just peace, love, joy, you know, some people in this world, now some people have a natural bent towards joy, but some people are Eeyores. They live their life depressed. They live their life discouraged. They live their life down. But as the Spirit of God works, we have so much we can rejoice in. Patience. You know, irritable people that aren't patient, and, and many of you and many of us fall into that category. And, and as we allow the Spirit of God, you know, He gives us the ability to have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Man, that's a huge one. People live in a world of very little self control. You don't believe me? Go down to. Uh, a buffet down the street and sit there and watch. People lack self-control. And the only way that we are going to have self-control is when we allow the Spirit of God to change who we are. God says, I have given you my Spirit. Because most people aren't truly loving, patient, joyful until the Spirit of God works in them. Are you thankful for the Spirit of God that guides and directs? Is there times in your life when you, know, you, you, uh, you, you want to say something, but you don't because the Spirit of God guides and directs? 
I think sometimes as Christians, we wait for this magical moment of, you know, the Spirit of God is going to suddenly put a thought into our head. You know, God gives us the, the ability to choose on our own, but He will allow the Spirit of God to mold us and to point us towards truth and to guide us and to direct us, but we have to be willing to listen. And that's why it tells us in Scripture that we also have the ability to quench the Spirit, to shut down the Spirit in our lives. To live in such a way where we say, no, I I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. And that's why people go out and they claim to be Christians and yet they live their life in a way that does not show that. They're they're mean and they're nasty and they're they're hateful and they don't have joy in their life and they're not gentle and they have no self-control. So the question is, how do we get the Spirit of God? We can live the way God wants us to, only if we have the Spirit. We cannot live the way God wants us to without the Spirit, and we will never have the Spirit until we humble ourselves enough to call on God for salvation. And maybe that's you here today, and you don't have the Spirit of God in your life, but I believe that you can today. If you will come to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, I know I've done wrong, and I repent of my sin, and I turn to you, and and I accept you as my Savior, the Bible tells us that He will give you a seal promise that he will come back and receive you again until he does his spirit will guide you and teach you and direct you what a gift what an amazing gift we have you ever remember when you were a kid and you watch those cartoons some of you i know some of you are saying that was you know i don't remember this but the cartoon where you had the the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other. We don't have them on our shoulder. But the Spirit of God is working in your life. And your flesh is battling. And that's why in Galatians he said there, if you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to walk in the flesh. But if you walk in the flesh, you're going to quench the working of the Spirit in your life. The question is, do you Allow the gifts that God has given you of the Spirit to impact the way that you live. When God says that He will never leave us or forsake us, He is determined to make that true by giving us the Spirit. So if you are in Christ, you are never alone. And that's a reassuring thing. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and I know at times in my own life I ignore the Spirit and I do my own thing anyway, but Lord, I pray that you will help each and every person in this room to spend more time in your Word and as your Word is enlightened by the Holy Spirit, changes are made and really the, the credit doesn't go to us, it goes to your Spirit. So, Lord, I thank you that we have that. Lord, if there's some here today that are struggling to live um, in a way that is pleasing to you, and and maybe they feel like they have constant failures and they are not successful, uh, Lord, I pray that, number one, Lord, maybe they evaluate if they've ever come come to you, if they've ever received the gift of the Spirit. Or maybe there's some Christians who have received the gift of the Spirit but continue to quench the Spirit by ignoring His leading and guiding in their life. I pray that they will repent of that as well. 
and turn to you in the following of your spirit. We thank you for all you've done in your name. Amen. Pastor me.